Hello, and welcome everybody to the Unstable Realm Gaming Podcast, bringing you the news from everything in the Unstable Realm world, filling all of your nerdy needs. Today, we're going to be giving you updates on the Magic World Championship, talking about the new Elden Ring video game, talking about the magic art debacles going on right now, and then we'll be giving our favorite Strixhaven spoilers. Today, I'm your host, Steven, a.k.a. Tyranno Ramos Rex. We have our other host, the evil monk, Gilbert Ramos. And then we have our next guest joining the podcast, Aftone, MTG. You guys might know him as a creator we have on Unstable Realm. Yeah, the, uh, the, the menace of uh, uh, many of the tournaments <laughs> is now here. All right, so the first thing we're going to be talking about is actually some competitive uh, magic that's going on right now. For those of you guys who don't know, uh, the <clears throat> Kaldeheim, Kaldeheim Championship is going on, and it's basically a pro tour. They're not calling it a pro tour, but they have like a million different names for all of their different championships, and they're all basically the same thing. All of the best magic players come together. Those who are able to earn their way up to the top, they uh, get to play you know, um, amongst the other elites. So... Uh, Afton, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when, uh, I mean, I didn't know that it was going to be happening this past weekend. And so I just, I saw it was there on Twitch. I started watching it. And one thing that really surprised me is that uh, alongside Standard, they also included Historic inside the mix for day one and day two, getting to the top eight. And that, that personally threw me for a loop. Because I, I I know I love historic. Historic is probably one of my favorite formats on Arena, and it was just it was really cool to see some of the decks that came out with. So the top eight for the Caldemheim Championship we have, and I'm gonna butcher all of these names, but I'm gonna try my best. Shahar Shinar, and he's playing Team Adventures. Shoto Yazuka, and he's playing Sultai Ultimatum. Arnie Hutchinbeth. And he's playing Demir Rogues, Andrew Cunio, Cunio, and he's playing Sultai Ultimatum. Javier Dominguez is playing Team Adventures. Uh, Noriyuki Mori is playing Gruel Food. Uh, Gregor's Kowalski, which is he's he's always up there, isn't he? Uh, Sultai Ultimatum, Ultimatum, and Riku Kumagai, who is playing the only copy of Mono Red Aggro. It's actually pretty diverse, a lot more diverse than I thought it was going to be. It was a really diverse field. It was actually really amazing. Um, the first one I want to actually talk about was, uh, oh man, things not scrolling, was uh, the guy playing Gruel Food. He was the one of Gruel Food in the tournament, and he happened to make it. As far as he made it to top eight, he actually made it to, I think, the uh, fourth game, the fourth match before the finals. And for bringing a deck that no one else was playing and to get that far was a pretty great feat just on its own. Yeah, I actually took a screenshot of one of the plays that I seen. And it was actually not not by the guy you're talking about, but Riku Kumagai was playing mono red aggro, and 
he had a chance to present lethal. Well, he had lethal on the board uh, through his attacks, right? All he had to do is tap his castle Embrith, and he was going to swing for lethal. And his opponent was at 11. However, he assumed that his opponent may have Brazen Borrower in hand. And if he swung for lethal, he would kind of be left, you know, with not that great of an attack on his next turn. And so even though he thought, hey, I can probably beat him right now, he, he decided to make a different choice. And those are the kind of plays that, you know, he ended up winning that game. And if he didn't make that choice, he may not have won that game. And so one of the things that I did want to say is if there's anybody out there who's listening that doesn't watch these pro tours or doesn't watch these pros play, and you think that, oh, you know, I don't want to waste my time watching Magic or what am I going to learn from them when I play the game all of the time, you'd be really surprised at some of the plays that some of these pros make where you definitely wouldn't have made that play. And then you look back on it like, man, that was really smart. And those are what they call big brain moves, you know, when you're playing as a pro and you're making these decisions because these guys. So speaking about those, Arne Hushabet, the guy that won the whole pro tour, I watched him through the first day, through the second day, through the finals. He was playing Demir, Demir Rooks. And generally it's like, oh, I'm going to mill or I'm going to go really fast and try to beat you down. But he played such smart moves. Like he's like, wait, I'm not going to play this. I, he, he held on to so many cards that if you go watch him play, it, it's not any type of play style. I, I, have, I personally have ever played with Demir Rogues or I've seen played with Demir Rogues. He was very smart and very advanced thinking about his matchups and things like that. There, there was a time where I was watching one of his matches, and I think it was when he was playing Kowalski and Sultai Ultimatum, because I play Demir Rogues quite often. That's one of the only decks that I have completely built. And it's not his deck that he's using, but it's a similar version of it. And there's been so many times where I'm playing against the Sultai Ultimatum deck, and I just feel like there's nothing I'm going to do. Like, there's nothing I'm going to do to advance my board state and I'll just quit. And I've, I seen him in that same state that I was in and he ended up winning that game. And I'm just like, man, he really, really plays the long game, like on some of those matches. And that's not something that is normal for Demir Rogues. It doesn't seem like that's a normal thing for Demir Rogues, but I, I definitely agree with you. Like some of those plays that he was making, he was in it for the long. From what I could see, what, from what I saw, he was holding up drowning the locks for certain cars he was holding up Mystic Disputes for certain cards. He played into the story at the right time, didn't say please at the right time. And his sideboarding was also just perfect for it. Yeah, I mean, this guy, during the top eight, all the way to when he won, he lost one game in the top eight. That's Honestly, all he did. He oh. lost one game. Honestly, it's one of the things I like to see the most in the professional play is seeing how they do aggressive decks, right? I think in Magic and within people, it's really easy to make fun of it as it's the easy, like you just play everything out and win, right? But as you get to see at the higher levels, there is more decision-making at each way, at each step of the game. Yeah, that's one of the things I always recommend people do. There was a top eight. I'm not a top eight. There was a GP our magic fest now they're called that steven and i went to uh with our other friend jared and i literally spent an entire month doing nothing but watching people draft 
uh, M was it M20? It was M20, right? It was. Well, there was one that was M20, and then we the the other one was going to be that we went to was Theros. No, it was the M21. The M21, I, yeah. I I literally watched just a straight month every day watching people draft and draft and draft and draft. And a lot of times that they would lose their drafts, but I see what they're losing against. You know, and, I, and you basically just memorize the best cards over and over and over. And it's it's a big difference between playing over and over and over again and watching somebody play over and over again because I was doing both, actually. And we ended up making out like bandits. I think we, t- we went home with, I want to say it was like four or five boxes, a bunch of T-shirts, like all kinds of like products from, the, from our winnings. And it was strongly due to the fact that I did that, that I took the time to sit there and actually study. Um, so if you want to be, you know, one of the top players like these guys, these guys, you got to understand that they play thousands of games with those decks. They're not just switching decks every day. You know, they're not using different decks all the time. They have a team of people. All of them have all of the best decks and each one picks a deck and then they just learn that deck like the back of their hand. And that's how they end up in places like this. I mean, the only other thing I want to say is that if you go back and watch the championship, make sure you stay to see his reaction from when he knows that he won because that is it showed a person that strived for something for so long and finally got it it was amazing to see it wasn't like at the world tour where they're just like yes i won cool that's happy that's awesome but you actually saw him like celebrate just like holy crap i just won like he looked at his arms multiple times like i'm i'm shaking I am absolutely shaking. <laughs> it was it was a, it was just like, oh, this guy's a human being. Awesome. Great. All right, guys. Next up, there's something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, not sh- quite sure exactly how we're going to tackle this, but one of the things that we wanted to start doing was sort of like a book club, more of like a book review. Um, Jared actually reads a lot of books. He's another member of Team Ramos. We haven't introduced him in the podcast yet, but he'll be in this podcast that we're talking about. And we plan on making this like a separate, separate podcast, um, not necessarily um, a different podcast, just an extra episode a week. You know, and I feel like the more episodes, the merrier. You know, I, I always want if there's a podcast I like, I always want more content of it, regardless of what it is. But basically what we want to do is pick out a book um, and and read it or listen to it, because me personally, I work in a warehouse, so I can just throw in an audio book in my ear and I work 12 hour shifts so I can get through a whole book in one day. So basically what we plan to do is pick a book the, when we do our podcast and then throughout that week, uh, make time to listen to that book or read that book. And then when we come back the next week, we're just going to do a review or talk about the book and things that we liked, things that we didn't like and then pick our next book for the following week. I know it can be a little rough for a lot of people uh, to go through one whole book, but if you do feel like joining us in this adventure that we're gonna be doing, you can definitely pick up the book yourself and read along with us. And then next week when we talk about it, you guys will know what we're talking about. Um, if this doesn't sound like something that you you know, you know, wanna be a part of, that, that's fine too. You can just tune in and listen and hear about these new books that you may wanna add to the list of books that you wanna read in the future. Um, we do have our first book picked out already, but I think I'm going to save that information for when we actually do the podcast. Uh, along with the book review, we're also going to add in um, 
books slash comic books. And so we're going to be talking about some of our favorite comic books. And Stephen is a comic book connoisseur. And he actually works in a comic book store once a week. And so he's always bringing home piles of comic books. So he's going to have a lot of content to share with you guys. Stephen, you want to say anything about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, a volunteer. You know, I got one of my friends who owns a store, the comic book clubhouse. So now I help him out. And so he he's always he was someone who got me into it by really just talking to me and seeing what we're in, I was interested in and being able to branch out from there, being interested in writers and then moving on. Right. I mean, there's something where every week there's new issues coming out. So especially coming up, we're going to be having a actual magic comic book that's going to be released by Boom Studios. Uh, they recently are the ones that were in charge of the reboot sort of uh, Power Rangers in comic books. So they've, they've been very popular over the last couple of years. Um, they really showed that they can do some good quality. Um, we were able to see a little preview for the actual Magic comic. So it looks like it's going to be a fun adventure. It is going to be an other world, so it's not going to be the direct story of Magic. They kind of get the freedom to make their own stories within the Magic world. And they're even doing cool things with the comics. Covers, where there's going to be um, kind of secret covers and you're not going to know what you get until you open it up and there's going to be different planeswalkers for each one. So the first one's going to be Black Plains, uh, Black Planeswalkers with uh, Liliana getting a cover, Soren, and Kaya. So they're, so, ba- um, so they're basically going to be like huge packs of magic cards, right? So it's be- <laughs> basically, well, they, they what they say is that the the distribution is supposed to be one in three for each of the covers. Who knows what that actually looks like in like per shot, right? Right, and this is one where I personally really love the art of the art style of Liliana might be my favorite, but Soren being one of my favorite planeswalkers means I definitely got to try and get that one. Yeah. So if we wanted all three covers, and we went to the to the comic book store and ordered three and and bought three of it's going to be all the same comic, right? Just different all, cover. Yeah, all the same comic, different covers. You don't know what you're getting, right? They're actually coming to the store in the sealed bag. So then I open up one of them and I don't get what I want. Then I just buy another one, correct? I mean, you could, <laughs> most likely. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no store going to be complaining about that. <laughs> or I could just go online and buy the single comic book cover that I want. <laughs> yeah. By somebody who bought like a case of them and just is selling all the ones that are extra. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so someone tried to get their favorite, right? And just, got <laughs> yeah. like, just got like 29 Kayas, one Liana. There we go. Some schmuck like me walks in the store and buy 12 of them and gets all the same one. <laughs> <laughs> I might be that person in the next month. We'll see. <laughs> so when does this come out? Oh, yeah. So what I have here, I believe Magic the Gathering comic actually releases on April 7th for sale for everybody. I'm super excited about the comic book, the magic comic book that's coming out. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is something that I'm really, really, really excited for. And it's called Elden Ring. Um, for anybody familiar with the Dark Souls games, this game is directed by, <clears throat> well, it's made by FromSoft and Bandai, but it's directed by Hidetaki uh, Miyazaki. And Hidetaki Miyazaki actually directed Demon Souls. He directed the first Dark Souls um, and he directed Bloodborne. I believe he left, he didn't leave, but another team developed Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3. So all of the Souls games are made by FromSoft and FromSoft is making this game, but also the world building um, FromSoft got is getting help from fantasy novelist George R. R. Martin. For those of you who don't know, 
and that's probably hardly anybody who doesn't know who it is. But George R. R. Martin is best known for Song of Fire and Ice novels, or the Song of Ice and Fire novels, uh, which is Game of Thrones. So he's the one who wrote the Game of Thrones books. So that is extraordinarily exciting. If anybody has taken a look at any of the trailers that have come out recently, there's some. There was a leaked trailer, but it was like super high quality. So I don't know, you know, how much of a leak it was. If it was maybe a purposeful leak. But the game looks fantastic. It, it it looks like a Souls game, so it, it looks like you're playing a Souls game. Uh, I imagine George R. R. Martin's contribution contribution is going to be the storytelling because From Software doesn't have the best storytelling. From From Software kind of lacks in storytelling, and they don't really tell any. There's no real like laid out, plain and simple story in the Souls games. Uh, it's more of just the challenge of the Souls games. And if you want the lore of the Souls game, it's there inside item descriptions uh, and things of that sort. But you won't really find a lot of like straightforward storytelling in Souls games. So that's going to be something interesting that's going to come out of From Software is having George R. R. Martin there to help with that aspect of the game. Like I said, something I'm extraordinarily excited about. And if you guys go on and take a look at some of these trailers, or if you already know about it, or if you're a Souls fan and you didn't know about it, I recommend you go learn about it. Uh, the platforms that it's going to come out for are Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 4, <clears throat> and Xbox One, which will probably mean that it's going to be playable on PlayStation 5, but it may not have its own separate PlayStation 5 release. Um, it is a single-player game, so there's not going to be any co-op, uh, but I, I think it's still going to be great. So definitely take a look at that once you guys get a chance, because it's probably going to be awesome so with george rr martin on the team how many delays has the game had so far you know i, I made a joke that my buddies are like when is this game <laughs> when is this game coming out and i'm like dude george rr martin's partnering in this game this game's never going to come out <laughs> they've been really hush with a lot of the details of this game um when it comes to like when it's going to come out there hasn't been a whole lot of trailers or anything like that for it and from software tends to be really quiet about things like that. Like I'm, st I still suspect that they're making a Bloodborne two. I, I hope deep down in my heart that they're making a Bloodborne two because Bloodborne one was fantastic. That I think that was like their best game they've ever made. See, um, it's one of those games that I see. I love the look of. I love the, the gothic horror. Is something I'm really into, right? Mm -hmm. And and I see that game, and I have still yet to really play it. Well, it's. I want to say it's like. <clears throat> um what's the guy who's responsible oh lovecraft it's like a lovecraft game basically yeah and so yeah dude it's it, it is amazing steven and i told you anytime you want to play let me know i'll i'll start up a character and play with you hey maybe that'll be something we got to stream one of these days i watch that, watch me be a fool and just get lost thousand percent i down. have zero map awareness in a game that doesn't give me a like fully brought like shown map that i will just get lost game doesn't give you any map what you're talking about exactly so so my my ability to get around is real difficult and i get real annoyed but yeah i think um i think of all of the games demon souls is probably closest to my heart maybe even dark souls but bloodborne was probably like mechanically their best game yeah i hear a lot of it is you have to be be aggressive yeah, and that was a, that was a big difference from the other games because in the other game it's all about like 
I'm going to keep my shield up while I walk around this corner because I don't know what's going to be around the corner. And then boom, something hits my shield. And I, you know, I take a step back like 10 feet and let him walk towards me slowly as I throw arrows at him, you know, like those kind of things, like really cautious, really defensive. And with Bloodborne, it was, you don't have a shield. And every time you get hit, you can regain some of your life, but you have to attack to regain that little bit of life you lost. And so, like, it forces people to be aggressive in order to ma- to manage their life. Yeah. yeah. So that does seem interesting for the new game, Elden Ring, right? Whether it is going to go into the old style of be safe, or if it is going to go into the more be aggressive, play fast, kill the monster. Oh, from the pictures and, like, the the trailers that they've shown, it looks like it's going back to more of the Dark Souls-y feel. But who knows? Oh, and I didn't even mention that they made uh, Sekiro. I haven't played that one either. I'm waiting for it to go on sale at a reasonable price. It's still pretty expensive. So I'm hanging. And it's a single player game, so I don't really see a rush in going and getting it right away. Yeah. <clears throat> for all you people there who have also, um, like I said, these are difficult games, right? That's, uh, sometimes that can be scary for people. But very the least, even if you listen to like some of the soundtrack, their their sound design in each of these games has been fantastic. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite moments. I've never beat any of the Souls games. I played a lot of them and just like lost attention, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was bad. But I remember there was, when I was going through Dark Souls 1, I knew of a moment of, of, of when you first fight the Capper Demon. Mm-hmm. And I, I had seen my friend go through like three playthroughs of Dark Souls, right? I'd watched him plenty. I knew, I knew of the monster. I knew of all that. I remember when I finally got to that point myself, I was like, huh, this part looks familiar. Oh, I wonder what's here. Oh, this looks when like the Capper Demon comes out. Oh, whatever. And I remember going through the door, being all beat up from the poison, enter, and then what comes happening? The music roars in your face, and then the, the, the Capper Demon comes running through. I remember like when I finally got to beat that guy, just being excited to like call him up on chat and be like, I just did it. I finally killed him. The Capper Demon is definitely one of those bosses that – it, it just it's very it's so aggressive it's like more aggressive than like most of the stuff you'll see in souls games and it's because like the soon the second you walk through the door two dogs run at you and so you have to deal with the dogs but at the same time this demon with this ginormous sword comes and just whacks the heck out of you while you're trying to deal with the dogs there's actually a, a specific way to deal with that whole situation that I'm not going to spoil for anybody. So you just have to figure it out if you ever want to go through that. Uh, that makes it a little bit easier. But for the most part, if you just go in there like you're fighting a normal boss and you're going in guns blazing, uh, they, they definitely have guns and they're definitely blazing as well. So like I said, definitely check out uh, the upcoming Elden Ring. And if you, you don't know what FromSoft is or you don't have never played any of the Souls games, I highly recommend every single one of them. Uh, they have all been great for me. A lot of people like hate on Dark Souls 2, but personally, I think it's just as great as the other ones. Um, of course, if I had a tier list, it would probably be near the bottom, but that doesn't mean that it's not bad. I think all of their games are great. So make sure you guys check those out. Uh, the next thing that we are going to start going over is some of the art debacle that's going on. Um, we have two sort of art debacles. And the first one I actually wanted to bring up was Faithless Looting. So a lot of you have seen the Faithless Looting art because it's hard not to. And there's memes about it. There's people talking crap about it. And personally, do I like the art? I don't think it's great. 
you know, I don't think the art is great. Um, but I do have a problem with people talking crap about it. Like it does bother me. And it's only because like me personally, I'm also an artist and I think it's really disheartening for a card like that to come out. That's not very aesthetically pleasing, but that is somebody's artwork. You know, somebody did spend some time on that art and the girl who made this art, if you look at her other art, her other art is fantastic. Like there, she has some really nice art and for her to come out and get this job with magic, you know, get this commission with magic and make this card. And then like the entirety of the internet is trashing on it. Just kind of sucks, you know, and I, I feel really bad. So when I, when I see posts, I don't really engage with them too much. Um, I wish people wouldn't do that. Like if you don't, I wish people would follow the credo. If you, if like, you don't like something, just move on, you know, like don't, you don't have to trash somebody else, especially when it comes to art, because I've seen people in other magic groups, where their art isn't great you know it's not fantastic and <clears throat> you go to the comments because there's of course there's a gazillion comments and people are just trashing the dude's art and it's like if we're gonna crush people because their art's not great they're never gonna do art again so they'll never be able to get better at their art you know i think if you don't like the art give constructive criticism if you don't like the art just move on like you know just leave it alone if you don't have anything nice to say then don't say nothing at all you know along, something along those lines i don't know if anybody else has anything to add about it it was just kind of my little soapbox i wanted to get on real quick well it's funny because you know i agree it seems like a weird art choice for the card yeah. but i'm definitely gonna end up buying it right it's something that i think is it looks a little silly and weird and mm -hmm. this is something i want to have in my collection and be able to play out and, and kind of have a little fun with it right i think i had the same reaction when we when we saw like the dopey karn that came out in Double Masters, yeah. yeah, right? Or is there something where, like, you know, I have a lot of fun with some of those cards, right? Nothing, it doesn't have to be, like, some photorealistic stuff. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be some crazy cool art. Sometimes having something silly is just fine for me. I thought, I honestly thought it was a Photoshopped image of a person. I mean, personally, when I first saw it come out, I just, I, I, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was a fake card. I thought it was just, like, a fake art for it. But once I realized it was real, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm personally not a fan of it, but that's that's just my opinion. I just, I really thought that it was just like someone making like, oh, this is the new Faithless Looting and trolling the magic community. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it either. Like, I, I probably won't pick it up and not necessarily because I don't want it, but... I don't really have a need for the card itself. And so I, I won't be picking it up because I think it's pretty or anything. Cause I'm not a fan of it, but it's just, I, it, I just have a hard time with I mean, people trashing the artist, you know? Oh, I, I, I and I agree with you hundred percent. There's no reason to trash the artist. Wizards of the coast chose that art for a reason. And I mean, that's Wizards of the coast choice. We have to deal with it, but there's no reason to trash the artist for it. I mean, there's no reason at all for that. Yeah, it definitely seems like a instance of it's not this person's lack of skill. It was the choice in what they decided to make, right? They obviously have skill. They obviously make other great art. I think what they their vision for what this card is just didn't fit for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how, how the art actually even fits what the card does. I guess the pouring out of something and then having fire in the hand, like, I, I guess 
I guess it kind of makes sense if you think about it. I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard. It's hard to figure out what the card is supposed to like. Cause some of the other cards, like I could see the art and how they relate to what the card does. But yeah, that one's a little little off. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was the crux of fate thing where somebody is claiming that <clears throat> the, the new crux of fate art um has stolen art in it and the stolen art that is that is in it supposedly is nico bolas um it, it was an art that somebody did of nico bolas right and this what this person did was took nico bolas um from their art that they did back in i think it was 2000 was it 2019 or something they, they did it a while ago. And they I basically, think it was 2016. Okay, so they took this art that they did, cut it out, and put it right next to or on top of the new card. And the head and one of the arms is pretty spot on. Like, it, the shape is definitely there. I don't think the detail is necessarily the same, but the shape is there, right? If in, in it's almost exact in the shape. Um, me personally, I don't really care. Um, if I was the artist, I could see them having a problem with it, rightfully so, you know, maybe. But at the same time, it's like that's what Nico Bolas looks like, you know. And if I'm if I'm an artist that gets a commission to have uh, to have to do Crux of Fate, and they're telling me that I have to, you know, include Nico Bolas in it or whatever, I'm gonna look up some Nico Bolas art and see what this dude looks like, and you know, start going from there. And I feel like this is a case of that. Um, he probably should have changed the angle that Nico Bolas was at, so it's not exact, but it is pretty darn exact. And so I don't know, man. I'm kind of on the fence with this one. So okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get you off the fence right now. Okay. Because, in my opinion, it is a direct plagiarism of the Nico Bolas art. Um, because of one thing, one thing specifically, is that all of the Nico Bolases that have ever been printed have three fingers. They have three fingers. Every single Nico Bolas has three fingers. And in that art, in the Crux of Fate art, he has five. And in that fan art that is claiming to be plagiarized has five fingers. That right there was the icing on the cake for me. And, and another thing I wonder is how much of the art can you have stolen for it to become a problem, like legally? You know what I mean? So like, <clears throat> what if Jason Felix comes out and says, you know what, I copied the head and the hand there i said it you know like how much of the art was the head in the hand because the the dude himself admits that the body is different and then the wing is different and so if it's just the hand and just the head like is that legally a problem i'm not i'm asking honestly because i'm not sure well it's kind of like the same thing like with music it's like okay I maybe have used your beats, but have a couple tweaks in the beat, but it still sounds like your beat-esque, but so, I, I changed it a little bit. Are, am I still liable of, to being sued over this? Well, I don't... What it comes you, down to? I believe free use laws even matter between, like, different countries, right? 
what what is free use and what can be used, what can be changed, and percentage wise. Yeah, so legally, I, know, I think this goes way beyond anything of my knowledge. Yeah, I know one of the things we did talk about in art school um, was that if if the artist who created the art is able to recognize their own art, then it's copyright. And so you need, it needs to be unrecognizable by the original artist. And so, like, like I said, I don't know legally, you know, what this guy has and he may have a case and I don't necessarily think that it's magic's fault. It's not wizards of the coast's fault because they have so much to do to, to pay attention to. And are they like Googling every, you know, instance of, Nico Bolas on DeviantArt to figure out if their art is going to be plagiarized. Like, of course, they're not going to do that. That's an insane amount of work that they, I don't, I don't expect them to do that. I think this is all on Jason Felix. And so Jason Felix is going to have to come out and say whether or not he's seen that and copied it. Maybe he's going to pull a Carlos Mancia and say, hey, I didn't know. I didn't know I stole it from somebody. I may have seen it in passing, you know, something like that. So I don't know, man, this is kind of, this is kind of a touchy subject, and I don't think we're going to – I don't think us here – I mean, I don't blame Wizards of the Coast at all for this. Yeah. So I guess we're just going to have to see where this uh, Wizard goes. Of the, this is between the artists and – I mean, Wizards of the Coast has come out and said that they have now uh, – they have put the original – or the artist of Crux of Fate, what was his name, Jason something? They have put – they have suspended taking artwork for him. Essentially what they're saying, they've cut ties with him, that they're not going to accept any more art from him. I was unaware. But if Wizard of the Coast Oh no, they, they they put out an announcement. I think it was either today. I think it was today or yesterday they put out an announcement that said that. But if Wizard of the Coast has come out and been like, Oh, we're gonna cut ties with this guy, then I mean Wizard of the Coast has seen it in their own eyes. They're like, Oh crap, this guy plagiarized. They're trying to wash their hands of that. Yeah, I mean that that that's a that's a big step, man. And I, that that kind of sucks because I actually like Jason Felix's art. I think he's a great artist. Um, that sucks for him, but uh, yeah, I mean, if they came out and said that, and then this is a real serious. So I guess I guess we'll see where this goes, and um, yeah, we'll we'll try to keep updated on what's happening, and maybe update you guys once we find something else out. All right, so enough of. Enough of talking about art. Let's talk about some cards that have spiked this week. So this week we're seeing a spike in Phyrexian Arena. Um, Phyrexian Arena has gone up. Well, one of the things says it's gone up 378%, but this it has a warning next to it that says it could be a mistake. But if you do look at most of the Phyrexian Arena prints, they have gone up to about $20. They were sitting at 8 bucks around. Actually, they're sitting at around 10 bucks. So they've gone up about 100%. And <clears throat> I think this has a lot to do with the, the reason, the same reason the last week's card went up is because people are, are predicting they're going to start be playing, they're going to start playing on the table pretty soon. So they're gathering up cards that they need for like their modern decks and things of that sort. So I think that's why we're seeing a spike in Phyrexian Arena is because uh, people are anticipating playing at the table again. So that's why we're seeing a spike in that one. Yeah, it's also a really common card in Commander, right? That's one use very often yeah Phyrexian arena is just wherever it can be played it's probably played it's just a really good card for those of you that don't know what it is it's black black one colorless and it's an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep you draw a card and you lose one life 
<laughs> I know when I was playing in one of the tournaments, or actually Jared was playing in the tournament, so we talked about this. Um, somebody got a look at his hand, and he had a Phyrexian Arena in his hand, and then he had, I don't know what the other cards were, but uh, they had the opportunity to take the Phyrexian Arena, and they didn't take the Phyrexian Arena. And this is something that me and Jared spoke about afterwards, and he's like, dude, they didn't take the Phyrexian Arena. I'm like, I know that was definitely the card you're supposed to take. Um, because if you don't have any respect for Phyrexian Arena, play against it a couple times or try playing with it a few times because this card seems like, oh, I'm gaining a card, but I have to lose a life every turn. No, I don't want to do that. But in black, you're you're definitely going to want that extra card every turn. You're basically just drawing two cards per turn. And if you don't think that that's great, <clears throat> I think you need to reassess magic because... That is fantastic. Uh, the next card that we see went up is Magma Silver. And the reason Magma Silver went up is like we talked about last week, it's because uh, the set that just came out has a lot of slivers in it and it had uh, Sliver Legion got reprinted. So people are starting to play slivers again. <clears throat> so with people playing slivers again, Magma Silver went up in price. And Magma Silver is red, and three colorless for three three all slivers have tap target sliver gets x o until end of turn where x is the number of slivers in play so yeah this is you know time spiral bringing all that sliver love people are getting ready to play again in person slivers being a powerful tribe all on its own it's all the perfect mix to make those those cards shoot up yeah, I didn't mention the price, but it's gone up 359%. It went from a $10 card. Now it's sitting at a close to $50. So dig those up if you got them. I'd sell them if you had them, but hey, that's just me. Other cards that have spiked, um, looking at the weekly winners on MTG stocks, we have Chain of Smog. So Chain of Smog has gone up 4,100%. This card was 41 cents last week. And now it is sitting at $21. <clears throat> and the reason for this, let me see if anybody can guess out there. It is black and one colorless. Target player discards two cards from his or her hand. That player may copy this spell and may choose new targets for the copy. So does anybody have any idea why something like this would have gone up recently? Let me just let me just uh, let you know. Oh, hold on. I think I think I got it. I think what, I got it. What do you, what do you got, Steven? Is is it doesn't have to do with uh, uh, Liliana. <clears throat> it does have to do with Liliana, but not just specifically Liliana. This this triggers Magecraft, and it can trigger Magecraft in any of the Magecraft cards. So Chain of Smog, you basically play this. You target yourself. That player, which is you, may copy the spell and may choose new targets for the copy. Who do you target? Yourself. So you do this over and over and over and over again, targeting Magecraft over and over and over again. So any of your Magecraft cards, whatever it is that Magecraft is doing, it's going to be doing it over and over and over again and doing it well. No? Anybody get that reference? Doing it, doing it, doing it now. Doing it, doing it, doing it well. <laughs> <laughs> Afto, Afto oh is on vacation and happens to have helium balloons in his room hold on i already have this balloon pop let me just finish off this helium for this one balloon before All we right. continue on now it's just afton has to bring in the next card 
I don't even know what the next card is, but hey ho, let's go. The next card that we're gonna talk about is Illumination. <laughs> illumination is white white counter target artifact or enchantment spell. That spell's caster gains an amount of life equal to the spell's casting cost. So it's a white counter spell. Oh yeah, it's actually uh, uh while I was a guest on the Cryptic Commander podcast, we were talking about this card. And we were stumped for a second of why it had gone up so high in price. My only guess was because it was one of the only, you know, white counter spells that isn't as conditional, right? Mana Tithe is pay one. Uh, I believe Memory Lapse puts it to the top of their library. So it is a way to fully answer Artifact and Enchantment. But the next thing we had actually learned is that it was featured on a Tolarian Community College video talking about the weird cards that people should play in Commander. It's It was on the video, Seven Cheap Commander Cards You Never Knew You Needed. Oh, there we go. And yeah, that one shot it up from cents to now. Coming up to what what has it gotten to right now? It was 33 cents before the video came out, and it is now $12.64. So it's gone up 3,000%. Yeah, so you know the professor over there changing the market. Professor's got some power, man. You know the backpack that I use was actually featured on one of his videos. To be fair, I buy. I like always had a feeling for what's best. What were the best sleeves? I've always been a big Dragon Shield person, but uh, definitely confirmed it with the community with the Telerian Community College and Prof doing all his testing and getting all my inner sleeves. What what were the sleeves that you recommended for your inner sleeves? Oh, I got the uh, dragon sleeve, uh, dragon shield inner sleeves, the ones that do the the full seal that you push in. Oh, are those the ones that they actually have at the comic book store that you work at? Yeah, that I volunteer at, that I help at. Same thing. <laughs> well, well, so those, yeah, he did it to where you put them in the sleeves, you can fully close, and he's, he did like a little water test with it and everything, and it was, it was like the best protection you can get. Interesting. So I recommend them to all. Nice, yeah. I, I always get dragon shields. They, they just, they've always been the best for me. I like the way they feel. The corner, their corners don't get too bad too fast. I personally like Eclipse. Really? I feel I, like Eclipse shuffling. Maybe that. Maybe we got to do that as as a uh, topic one day. Our favorite magic products and put them to the test. My the reason why I like Eclipse is because Eclipse has the black back on the inside of the sleeve, mm. so there's no chance that you could see through the sleeve with double cards or anything like that. I personally, I, I like Eclipse sleeves. So people don't know that you're playing with proxies? <laughs> well, I mean, it's for, I mean, what? Like, uh, Rivals over Ixalan or something like that when they had uh, double-faced cards, two, two oh, sides. Oh, shoot, they all have double-faced cards now. The du dual moto face cards or whatever they're called, the DFCs. But yeah, stuff like that. I mean, with the Eclipse, they had the black insert on the inside. And so you can't see through the back. Even if you're using, say, like yellow sleeves, if yellow is your favorite color, you still couldn't see it. Yeah. Man, that's why you just get the smoked out inner sleeves. Well, you know what? I don't want to pay for two sets of sleeves for one deck. You're just missing out on the full quality. That's 
and the little dragon stories it comes with. You're missing out on not yeah. being able, not being able to shuffle your commander decks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I double sleeved one commander deck one time and decided never to do it again. <laughs> I, I I had not done it for a long time because of that. And then I finally started putting my deck lists online and I saw the cost of it and I went, <laughs> hmm, I should probably double sleeve that. That's hilarious because so, I actually just did that. I actually just did that. And I went card by card and put the appropriate like printing of the cards and if it was foil or not. Like I went by detail and did it, and I, my commander deck ended up being like thirteen hundred dollars. So I was pretty pretty proud of that. All right. So the last thing that we're gonna go over is I asked everybody to pick three cards. I didn't I didn't want to go over all of the spoilers because they're just coming way too fast. There's just so many of them. So I asked everybody just to pick their three favorite cards. So just pick three favorite cards of everything that has been spoiled up to today and bring them to the table and we'll talk about it uh, quickly. So um, I guess I'll go first. So my three favorite cards. The first one is Velamachus Lorehold. And it's a 5-5 legendary creature elder dragon that costs seven, including Boros. And it's flying, vigilance, and haste. Whenever Velomachus Lorehold attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana, with mana value less than or equal to Velomachus Lorehold's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in, in, in a random order. So the reason I really like this card and I'm probably going to pick up one of each of these Elder Dragons, is because of my Commander uh, Ramos Dragon Engine. Uh, this card not only gives Ramos two counters on it, but it also does exactly what I want Ramos to do, which is Spell Sling. So it's going to come out, it's going to look through my deck, and it's going to let me play, pay some, play something for five, um, which a lot of my instants or sorceries are going to cost less than five. So I'm really excited about the, throwing this inside Ramos. Uh, the next card that I chose <clears throat> was Shadrick's Silver. Wait, 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 wait. What? Before you move on, before you move on, because this card was on my top three too. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I I really also like this card, especially for historic, because if you can Tabalt's Trickery into this and swing with it one time, you can also cast Ultimatums with this card. Off the top of your library. Yeah, but are people really doing that still? But what I'm saying is that if you... Well, yes, they are still doing it. I like Jank. Tabalt's Trickery into Velomachus, and then you swing with it, and then you get to cast, you know, an ultimatum off your deck and just continue to just go off with ultimatums. I mean, I, that just sounds like stupid janky fun. So, question: How high did you have this on your list? Who me? Oh, this was like number three on my list. I, oh, I okay. I didn't number mine in any particular order. I just picked three. I don't have a first, second, third. So I'm gonna go over my next. I have card. a really strong feeling that <clears throat> me and Gilbert are gonna have the same cards. So my next card is Shadrick's Silver Quill. It is a 2-5 flying double strike elder dragon that costs three and white and black, so five total. And it says at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two. 
Each mode must target a different player. Target player creates a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token flying. Target player draws a card and loses one life. Target player puts a 1-1 counter on each creature they control. So the reason I like this card is, again, it's good for Ramos <clears throat> because it's a multicolor and it's a dragon. So things like Crux of Fate will keep both Ramos and this card alive, but destroy everything else. Usually destroys everything else. But also, if you're playing something like Kingdom, this card can, if you're the knight, it can help your king. If you're the assassin, it can help the king. If you're the usurper, it can help the king. And so you can do a lot of politicking with this card. So this card, <coughs> this card will allow you to give somebody else at the table um, some sort of benefit. But it also says you may choose to. So you don't have to choose to if you don't want to. So you can, you can always just choose one if you would like. And then my last card, my third card is Tanazir Quandrix. It is a 4-4 flying trample elder dragon and it's green, blue, and three colorless. When Tanazir Quandrix enters the battlefield, double the number of 1-1 counters on target creature you control. Whenever Tanazir Quandrix attacks, you may have the base power and toughness of other creatures you control become equal to Tanazir Quandrix's power and toughness until one turn. So I'm not really that crazy. Like, I don't really care about the second ability. But that first ability is fantastic for Ramos. So if I had to put them on a numbered list, this one would be number one. Because not only does it come down and give Ramos two counters from being cast with blue and green, but as soon as it enters the battlefield, it's going to double those counters. So it gives Ramos four counters automatically. And also, whatever counters I have may have acquired for Ramos already, it's going to double those. And I don't know if you guys have seen any of the games where I play with Ramos, but a lot of times the way I'm winning with Ramos is putting like 10 counters on him and then swinging for 14. And that's just how I win. So if it comes down, brings Ramos to 20 counters, and I swing for 24, that's just better. That was definitely the dragon that had my attention the most because I always liked the idea of the plus one, plus one counter synergies. And what goes into my mind, especially in EDH, uh, finding a way to flash that out, find a way to do that in, in uh, instant speed because I want to live the dream, play that dragon, double the counters on something, and win with Simic Ascendancy. Oh, do we want to do Aftone next, next or do we want to do me? Yeah, let, let's, yeah, let's let Aftone do it. Let Aftone go, and then he can go ahead and take on. Alright, so my first card is multiple choice. I love me the multiple choice. That card, one and X for blue, it's great. Um, if X is one, scry one, then draw a card. If X is two, you may choose a player. They return a creature they control to its owner's hand. If X is three, create a four, four blue and red elemental creature token. If X is four or more, do all the above. I love that. I love the fact that it's an X sorcery spell and you get to choose so many different options. It's such a situational card in blue. It's just perfect. I mean, the only thing that's missing is a blue and six to take an extra turn. That's the only thing that's missing in my opinion. Yeah, that card is actually on my I mean, honorable, was going to be on my honorable mentions. You guys have seen this card. What do you think? Yeah, I had, I had definitely put that on. I was going to put that on my list, but then I realized that oh. the dragons take up a lot of my list. So I you guys again? Yeah, I definitely, I, my, my list is definitely in a whole different 
color direction for the most part. So you'll be seeing where, where my mind was in the last little bit. The last card is Venerable Warsinger. It's a red and a white and one. It's a 3-3 with Vigilance Trample. And whenever Venerable Warsinger singer deals combat damage to a player, you may return target creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of damage uh, Venerable Warsinger dealt to that player. I mean, with Trample, it can get in. You can give it buffs. You could bring back so many cards, so many creature cards from your graveyard. I think in Boros, where Boros is just hard and fast, little tiny creatures just going in there. This is probably, this card's going to make Boros even better than what it was. Boros Knights is the thing, but I think this just makes reoccurring threats. And it's just another great card, in my opinion. Honestly, this is one I had on my honorable mention. Because what I see this, and I kind of, I play a lot of Commander. So I, the, the ability, valuable everywhere. But I imagine seeing it in something like an Alesha deck, right? Where the whole idea is to bring back those small creatures. And it's just something that it can help that, it gives some redundancy in that ability. It's just reoccurring little tiny creatures that is just so amazing to me, and it just fits perfectly. So for my three cards, uh, I just mentioned the, I had one that was kind of my honorable mention. I have to, and I put up very highly. But for my number three pick, I, I actually did kind of put them in order. And I do have a lot of views. I'm thinking about the commander side of the game. So I actually thought of the dragon that Gilbert did not have on his list was a Galazeth Prismari, who is uh, two colorless and then red and blue for a, a legendary dragon. Uh, flying, when he enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. And then all artifacts you control have tap, add mana of any color, use this mana only to cast sorcery and instant spells. So... With this one, we with gold span dragon has definitely been uh, a big thing recently. So being able to make more treasures, being able to use them. Um, now this is a way to have them make mana without spending them. But what I see on here for uh, Galazeth when it comes to commander is that I kind of see him as a sort of less mean Urza. Where Urza is known to be able to play a lot of stacks pieces and tap them. Something like Winter Orb, which mentions that uh, if it is untapped, players can only untap one permanent during, or one land during their un untapped stage. Mm -hmm. This allows you to do that same thing. You're going to be able to tap those on your turn. That's pretty good. Right, so that's where I, this, so this one gets my number three because it gets to be mean. It doesn't have the full um, mana outlet that Urza does to make it even meaner. Mm -hmm. But I definitely see that potential to uh, definitely cause some problems in the game. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm definitely putting this in Ramos. It's just, it wasn't on the top of my list, but it will be going into Ramos for sure. Yeah. My next one, once again, another uh, uh, EDH idea, is Solve the Equation, a sorcery for two and a blue, or search your library for an instant or sorcery card, reveal it, 
put it into your hand, then shuffle. We got here another tutor, which I think is always good to add into the game uh, to definitely replace some of the ones that are gotten way too expensive in the last few years. You know, talk about like the enlightened tutors and all that. So give me another way to get an instant star street card. Definitely great for my uh, uh, Esper deck. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's something real basic, strong. Like I said, I think it's just good to add into the game. The art, <clears throat> the art is fantastic also. Oh, yeah, I definitely to mention, I have uh, really liked the art in this set. I like the design they have going. I think it's real good quality. Not even going into the the special alternate arts and all that, even just the regular art I enjoy. Now for one that we actually joked about the art in our own chat is Hoffrey Ghost Forge for three colorless, a red and a white, legendary creature, dwarf cleric, spirits you control get plus one, plus one, and have trample and haste. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. And it has, when this creature leaves the battlefield, return the exile card to your graveyard. My favorite card, my favorite part about this card is that it just makes a copy of the card and the copy doesn't come back as like a 1-1 one, one or something. Yeah, it's a straight copy that is actually making better because it is coming back as a spirit. So we'll have haste and trample and the plus one, plus one. And the haste is not to be ignored, right? A lot of abilities need to be tapped or can be activated right away. They can attack right away, even if you're going like the non-combo route. But th this card is very powerful in Boros. It's really trying to enable more sacking combos. How often do you think you're going to see somebody play something and then bolt their own creature just so they can swing with it for extra power? For, you, you know, specifically bolt it? Almost well, never. I mean, not necessarily bolt it, but just kill it but in man, some way. With that'll... all the sack outlets <clears throat> in the game. If you're playing Mardu, you can Vampiric... What is a... What is a card Diabolic that... Intent where you sacrifice it. Yeah. Like or... I said, this is even something as simple as doing like a damage board wipe right do four damage to all creatures destroy your creatures have them come back better as spirits all right and i got some quick announcements before we end today don't forget to check out the signups for the next league tournament for the coming month uh they are it is already posted there's going to be some quick changes to the rules on there so make sure you read through the event details be on the lookout for an extra episode of the podcast if you're interested in comics or books so we'll be having that out possibly this week and check out the latest episode of the Cryptic Commander podcast, where I'm actually a guest on there. So you can see me, make a fool of myself, and, oh, as we do a, a little game at the end, so we get to see how much I really know about magic in that trivia. You can find it on everywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page, The Unstable Round Gaming, and follow our other media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Unstable Realm. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time. Peace out. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.